This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so I want to read you from the Kavayosha first, before we get a little bit more into the Seder. Certain things that the Kavayosha, the Sefer, that was written a very, very long time ago, very, very Kabbalistic. I'd like to read you from inside a couple of different things. He says the following, He says, there's a Kabbalah in my hands. All the hard work that a person works for the honor of the Yantav of Pesach, and you're tired and winded from this work, you should know that Azai, through this work of Pesach, you will kill all the damaging angels on the Krom Nige Bene Adam that's called the diseases of the human being. A person who works hard in the work of Pesach, he will, he will be Masaka in his Tikkun. His, his, um, his tikkun. He says on the bottom that it brings down in the Shari Tshuva, in, in the Kavanas of the Arizal, the sweat that a person sweats, the beads of sweat on your head, on your face, in the time of the mitzvah of cleaning up for Pesach, so you're sweating, you're working hard. Have a skula. It is a skula, the mechikas ha'avoynais. To erase, just like if you're cleaning the chametz, to erase the sins. Kimoy ha'demois. They're considered every drop that, um, that comes off your forehead is considered like a tear. So it's unbelievable because sometimes it's very hard to, to cry, to do tshuva, to cry. It's not so easy to get yourself to cry. But he says that every drop of sweat that a person sweats cleaning for Pesach is considered to Hashem like a tear of crying. And we know that the gates of tears for women, for Klai Yisrael, are never closed. So don't fetch and complain about cleaning for Pesach. Just the opposite. You should have a kavana, which we'll see soon what your kavana should be. When you're cleaning, your kavana should be that when you clean the crumbs, you're cleaning, you're cleaning the Averis. I want to hear something. Cleaning and working off the Pesach. Does that mean that you do some cleaning? No. The the cleaning for rug, Rabbi Yisrael says you can clean up for Pesach in a couple of hours. Meaning, uh, meaning uh, basically, my my grandmother was a yeki, used to take a knife and go with the knife and scratch off every little thing. She wasn't spring cleaning. She was so she started cleaning. I remember she didn't let me into the living room after Hanukkah. And I said, I said, Omar, why can't I come after Hanukkah? She goes like, it's clean for Pesach already. She was so... But you're doing B'digas Chametz, so that includes, get, you know... But you, you, even when you do B'digas Chametz, like, let's say when you do B'digas Chametz in your chairs, right? In the, in the, like these chairs that you have over here, so there's a rim, a rim around it. It's like in your kitchen chairs, if you don't really brush that and scrape it and go through it, it's not gonna, you're not gonna find the Chametz. It's not a spring cleaning. They're going to do a spring cleaning. That's not what it's about. It's, 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 first of all, there's a whole kavana, um, cause the really, the question really is like, what's God's problem with some bread? I mean, a whole year we're eating cereal and cake and bread and, and we make kiddush and, and bread is a good thing. Bread's not a bad thing, right? You, you make hamotzi and your bench and all of a sudden for eight days it becomes, uh, you, if you see a piece of bread, right? Buy your raw, buy your matzah, you're not allowed to eat it, you're not allowed to see it, you're not allowed to own it, right? You have to burn it, make it hefker, sell it. 
What's so bad about a piece of bread? So Rabbi many, many people speak about is that, that it's not the bread. There's nothing wrong with bread. It's not the bread. It's what the bread represents. And the Zayar says, what does the bread represent? Hasayah should be Isa. The soya, the, the sour part of the dough, which means the yeast. So you, you, you know, I don't bake, but if you don't put yeast in a challah, right? You just get this flat nothing. It, it's to make it rise, how much yeast do you put in a challah? Right? How much yeast to dough? What would you say the percentage? What? A tablespoon, right? So, so what percentage? 10, 5%, 2%, 2%, 5% of the dough? Very minute, right? But what makes the dough rise? That yeast. That yeast is called sa'ar shabi isa, the sour part in the isa. The whole thing of cleaning for Pesach and chametz is a representation that the chametz is the Sahara. Now why is the Sahara compared to chametz? And the answer, there's two answers. One is that, and it's something that we've spoken about a lot, you know, I talk about the internet, and I talked about Zumba, and I talk about English music, and, you know, I talk about all these different subjects, and people look at me and make comments or whatever it is, like, you're too strict, and, 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 and you're prehistoric, and you're a caveman, and, and like, how could you live without all these things? You have to have all these things in our day and age. Look, Kayach, from my experience, at least, and I deal with a lot of pain, and, and, and a lot. And what, what the power of the Satan is, just to get in there a little bit. In other words, if, if you if he can break your shell, if he can get in a little bit, then once he's in, he becomes like yeast, like the t- tablespoon in the challah. All of a sudden, the whole challah starts to rise. It's only a tablespoon of yeast. Yitzhahara's kayach is just to get a little marker, just to get a little a little in there, a little non-Jewish music, a little dance like this, a little a little internet, a little like this, and it's really and it's really and it's really allowed, and it's really not the end of the day. And show me in the Torah where it says uh Tznius is uh three inches below your knee, and show me this and show me that and show me this. And the truth is that many many things I cannot show you. But it's the thing called a gedder. A gedder is a fence. And what does a fence do? A fence keeps out things that don't belong there. So so a lot of things that look innocent that are innocent. Right? But it's a gateway, like a gateway drug. It's a gateway just to get you started. And once he gets you started, then he becomes Sha'abi Isa. All of a sudden, this little teeny, you know, I told you the story with the Canary Kosher with me. It's a very, very famous story. When, you know, the, the, the Shabbos after Pesach is called Shlissel Challah. Right? They, the first challah you bake, the first Shabbos, they put a key in it. Right? And of course, it's a school, so everybody has Shlissel Challah, right? So some people put a key in it, some people bake the challah to look like a key. Right? It's a big thing. So I'm always, I always make two shlissel chalas. One, I put my house key in so that we should be able to redo the kitchen or something in the house, right? It should grow. Maybe add a room, right? And I put my safe deposit box key in. You know, maybe the stuff that's in my safe deposit will start, will start growing. What, what other key should I put in there? Bathroom key? No. What, what key am I going to put in there? My car key? So those are the two keys that I put in. But, but my wife doesn't bake chalas. So, so the, the first time, the first time we're married, a long time. The first time we decided that we're doing Shlissel Chala, that we even heard about it. So my wife said, on Friday, go to Glotmart and buy Canary Kosher. Canary Kosher has these little blue boxes, right? And buy Canary Kosher Chala. And it's already all made. All you need to do is put the eggs on it and, and that's it. It's like a pre-made challah. You don't have to do any work. And uh, fine. So I forgot in the morning and I didn't go in the morning. And I remember on the way home, oh my gosh, I, she's going to kill me. I didn't, I didn't buy the challah. So I went, I went into Gatmar and I asked him, I said, don't tell me you're sold out. 
Because when does Kinnera kosher send, sold most of his challahs? Shlisel challah. When the women who don't normally bake challah, so schooler, you have to bake challah, they say. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to make a living, right? So everybody buys challah, even the ones who don't bake challah. So I came in, I was very nervous that they're sold out. So I went over to the manager, and I said, where do you have the Kinnera kosher challah? Don't tell me you sold out. He goes, no, we bought, we knew. We bought plenty. There's plenty in the freezer. So I went to the freezer. And I look in the freezer. I panic. I'm totally panicked. I run back to the manager. I'm like, you don't understand. My wife doesn't want a bilkala. Bilkala the little chalas. My wife wants me to buy two big chalas. You only have bilkalach in the freezer. She says, what are you talking about? Canary kosher doesn't make bilkalach. I'm like, well, Canary kosher does make bilkalach. Because that's what you have in the freezer. He says, I have to see this. And the manager walks with me to the freezer. And he goes, what are you talking about? I have 70 boxes here of challah. I'm like, those are bilkalach. He says, they're not bilkalach, they're challah. Look at the box, it says challah. Now, I didn't know. I saw a little teeny blue box. So in my head, whatever's in that box, that's what you're going to bake. Right? I don't know that challah rises. I never, my mother didn't make challah either. So I'm thinking, whatever that size of the box, that's a bilkala. He says, are you kidding me? He says, just take it home to your wife. It says on a challah. <laughs> Fine, so I go home, I'm like, Esti, I don't know what the guy's talking about. I think he ripped me off. He gave me two little blue boxes, the bilkala. And she's like, no, 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 no. You, you put the eggs on it, you put the sesame seeds on it, then you cover it with a towel, and you come back three hours later and you got a monster growing underneath that. You know, why? Because... Chawa, once it, once it has yeast in it, it rises on its own. You have to do no work. That, that's the eight Sahara. You don't have to do no work. Just live life, chill. Everything's just going to come to you. Everything's just going to happen. You don't got to do nothing. Cover up with a towel. That's his koyach. His koyach is that from something that's teeny, that looks like a bilkalach, it ends up being a huge chawa. That's his koyach. Matzah is the opposite. From the second that the water touches the flour in a matzah factory, they don't stop working it until it becomes a matzah. The second they work, this guy works it, then he gives it to the next guy, he rolls it out, and he cut, next guy cuts it, then the women roll it, then they put it on a stick, then they make holes in it, then they put it into the, it doesn't, not for one second is it left alone. Matzah represents spirituality. If you want to grow, you can't just sit there and say, okay, okay Hashem, take care of me. It doesn't work that way. You have to work. So the, the whole thing of chametz, the whole thing of the crumbs, of the chametz is that represents the satan. So there are kavanas that he brings down here from that reason, kavanas, concentrations, that when you clean, you're supposed to have in mind that I'm cleaning my house, but I'm actually cleaning my house from Averis, but I'm cleaning my soul. I'm cleaning my, when I, when I, when I suck up chametz, I'm sucking up Averis. That's how a person has to think when he when he cleans. It's not. It's not. It's definitely not a spring cleaning. It's. It's. It doesn't a, have to be a certain amount of chametz in the chair. Is a tiny bit. It's supposed to be, a, you know, the size of I don't know what. Right. So it depends on the. It depends on the. Depends on. How, how do you go? There are people that clean. No, I'm just. No, you have to clean. But there are people who. Go in with, with forks and knives and clips. Listen, there are people that check their vegetables and there are people who check their vegetables. And there are people who won't eat strawberry or anything even after you check your vegetables. It's, it's a chumrah. Harizem shubach. He says harizem shubach. The more you do, the more you praise. Maybe just uh, put a, um, you can cover it, you can vacuum it. Whatever. It, again, I'm just telling you, my grandmother, Lashon, was, she was, uh, her fear of chametz was, was like unbelievable. And I know people even today that they're mamish so 
Chumadik. They're so Pesach, they're so nervous, and they don't bring in all this other stuff. They really don't. They just have potatoes and eggs, and and, and they're very careful. I'm saying everyone's different. Everyone. Everyone's different. Everyone's different. But he says over here. I'm going to read it to you. He says the harder the work, the more the sweat. The harizem shavuch. The more you praised. Okay. Anyway. That's, that's not, the representation of these eight days is the eight Sahara. Right. It's not a whole year round. Right, right a whole year round is fine. Just you have to wash. You have to wash. What? For those eight days, it's a representation. The representation. Yom Kippur has a representation. Sukkot has a representation. Pesach has a representation of that the chametz is the sa'or should be isa that you, for those eight days you have to, uh, you have to get rid of the chametz. And when it comes to the Eitzahara girls, you can't, you can't see it, you can't own it, not even a teeny bit. Pesach specifically is, the, the teeniest bit is, is considered chametz, you have to get rid of it. So when it comes to cleaning your soul, when it comes to getting rid of your averas, buy your raw, buy your matzah, you can't have it in your room, you can't see it, you can't own it, you gotta sell it, you gotta get rid of it, you can't, you can't say, okay, listen, I have a TV, but I don't look at it. No, you can't have it, you can't own it. Chametz, you can't have, you're not allowed to own it. Over Pesach, you're not allowed to own it, even if it's in a closet. You're not allowed to own chametz, you have to sell it. This is the same thing when it comes to averas, when it comes to, to, to your spirituality, it has to be a sterile, like like an operating room, it has to be a sterile room without bayura, bayumatz. Uh, you're not allowed to see it, you're not allowed to own it, you're not allowed to have it. And that, that's the kach of Yitzhar. Yitzhar is like, eh, it's not a big deal. Every big avera starts with, it's not a big deal. This is not the end of the day, and, and I think that's maybe why sometimes people think that I come on, you know, very 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 strong, um, much stronger than other people, and it's it's not because. Uh, I'm some crazy rabbi, but because I deal with the the end process, it's sort of like a doctor that God forbid ends, you know deals with lung cancer. So so when someone talks about smoking and he's not a, he doesn't deal with people who have emphysema and can't breathe or lung cancer, so to him it's a speech. Yes, it says it on the side of the box, caused cancer, danger. Okay, everybody reads the side of the box and they smoke the cigarettes. Every side of the box has a warning from the Surgeon General. But the guy that deals, I'll, I'll tell you a story that happened with me so that, so that, that you understand. I was driving in my car. It was a very long time ago. My kids were very small. And I don't know, I left the bungalow colony and I didn't put my kids in a seatbelt. They were all in the back seat and I didn't put them in a seatbelt. I don't know those days, I mean, you need to put them in a seatbelt, but it wasn't like today's seatbelt is like automatic, right? You just put it on right away. You put it on, you didn't put it on. I didn't put it on. And we, we just had left. And I was on Route 17, and I got stopped by a state trooper. And he pulled me over, and you know how they come with that flashlight? And I realized I was in trouble, but I was trying to tell the kids to put on their seatbelts, but they were little kids, whatever it is. And he puts his, he, the first thing is he looks in the back seat, and he sees my girls are not in their seatbelts. Then he looks in the front seat, and he sees that me and my wife were not in our seatbelts. I was trying to get it on, I couldn't. But you know, the minute they get out of the car, they see everything you're doing. So, so anyway, he says to me, your girls are not in a seatbelt, Mr. Wallstein. Please get out of the car. I'm like, oh, when a state trooper tells you to get out of the car, it's not a good thing. And he says, get into my cruiser. So he was a mensch that he didn't want to admonish me and criticize me in front of my kids. So he was going to let me have it in his cruiser. So I sit down and he says, I'm giving you five sub citations for no seatbelts and a speeding ticket. And I'm like, if you give me five citations of seatbelts, I'm gonna, my license is done. It's, it's too many points. I'm like, listen, I just left my bungalow colony. I was really gonna put it on. We just didn't get a chance yet. I was gonna tell my kids to put it on. 
you know, j- just, you know, give me the speeding ticket, whatever it is, and one citation, because I, I, I'm a rabbi, and I drive, and I need my car, and, and he's like, Mr. Wallstein, do you know what I do for a living? And I'm like, uh, you're a policeman. You know, I'm a state trooper. I go up and down Route 17 and the thruway. That's what I do. He says, and you know what else I do? I scrape children off the asphalt after a car accident, off the, off the road. He says, do you know why I scraped children off the asphalt? Because those children were not in seatbelts, and they went flying through the windows of the car. He says, so when I look at your child in the back seat, I'm looking at a child that's laying on the asphalt. And therefore, you are going to get five citations. And if you lose your license, good. And I looked up at him and I was like, please? And he's like, no. You need to remember this for life. So to me, the children sitting in the back were my kids. We're going home. Nothing's going to happen. My five, my five shafalos are going to get out of the car and I'm going to take them upstairs to their rooms. To him, a child that's not in a seatbelt is a dead child on the highway that he has to scrape up. So he, when he looks at a kid not in a seatbelt, he's not looking at some guy taking his kid home and bringing him upstairs. He's looking at a child going through a windshield. So he's giving you a ticket. So when I deal with the internet, I'm not dealing with a bunch of girls who are looking at the internet and surfing the internet and it didn't really change my life. So I saw a couple of pictures and maybe I went to a website I shouldn't have. When I look at, when I look at the internet, I'm looking at it and I'll be sitting here and knows the parade of people that come through my office every day. And this child, I, I want to tell you something crazy. I shouldn't, I really shouldn't talk about this publicly, but I'm going to tell you something really crazy. It's a girl who a young 13-year-old girl from a very firm family in a very firm place who knows nothing about the outside world, who somehow got a hold of a computer, got a hold of an iPhone, actually, and went online and somehow got to a neo-Nazi website. And she didn't even know what she was writing, and she wrote all over the place about Hitler, Yimachshima, and about... Jews and about crazy stuff that she just saw on this website. And this kid didn't even know what she was writing. She was on a neo-Nazi website. And how many girls are on pornography websites? And how many girls are on atheist websites, which are out there like crazy, anti-Jews, anti-God, right? And on other websites. And I'm a guy, at the end of the day, like the trooper, I'm not dealing with the girls who are on the websites doing their math homework and, 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 and getting information for their papers in college. I'm the, I'm the guy who's scraping the kids off the asphalt. I'm the guy that all the weird things that they saw on the internet that destroyed their lives and their parents' lives and, and marriages and, and husbands, to, adultery and the worst of errors that come from just having an internet, that's what I'm busy with all day. So when I see internet, when I see kids in no seatbelt, I see the end of where they're going to be. I see a very different picture than the rest of the world who's listening to me speak and say, ah, 
he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not the end of the day. I'm the doctor that's the oncologist that deals with lung cancer, and I see what cigarettes do to everybody's lungs. So to me, when I see a cigarette, I want to slap it out of that person's hand. Everybody else is like, ah, oh, cigarette. No, I have, a, I have a grandfather that smokes. When I'm dealing with young people who are dying and leaving children, that are, that, are, that are orphans because they smoked and smoked and smoked and smoked and smoked and I'm dealing with these people then when I see a young guy smoking a cigarette I want to slap it out of his hands because he's got a whole family and he's smoking a cigarette but, but if you're not dealing with it so it's another cigarette no, it's the end of the day so the guy needs a cigarette he's uptight he, he calms him down so the reason that I am the Zumba rabbi and the internet rabbi and, 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 and the, the reason is because I only see the pain that it causes I don't see the good stuff. People don't come to me to tell me good things. Nobody ever came, knocks on my door and says, I just want to talk to you about my daughter. She's doing great. I haven't heard that in 36 years. No one comes to me like, listen, we want to talk about our marriage. Really, what's going on? It's amazing. Never happens. That doesn't happen. I get like, my God, I just caught my husband looking at something or emailing or my wife at work is emailing this guy, whatever it is, and we want to get divorced and we have three kids and I know this is the end of their life. Why? Because that stupid internet that she had to be on that she got caught into. So I deal with the asphalt. I deal with the kids that are laying on the asphalt. So that's why I'm so sensitive to all these different subjects that most people are like, come on, I never really hurt anybody. It hurt a lot of people, and, and my, the people in my office are my witness. It doesn't matter how old she is, or how young she is, or how from she is, or how not from she is. It destroys people, and children, and young children, and marriages, and it's, 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 and, and atheism, and, and just hatred for Yiddishkeit, and it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So, Pesach is a time where Hashem says, you can't have it, you can't see it, it can't exist. You gotta vacuum clean every single crumb out of there because if you let that yeast do its own thing, it's gonna start off in a little blue box and it's gonna end up taking over your whole table. And that's really what cleaning for Pesach is. And that's why he so much talks about the Kaviyosha, the different Kavanas that when you clean, I don't sweat really, you know, today it's very hard to sweat when you clean up. First of all, the maid's cleaning up, so you're not going to sweat, right? You might sweat how to pay her, but you're not sweating how to clean up. And then you got a vacuum cleaner, right? And you have all these things that help you clean up, right? So I actually, we, we kosher ourselves the kale so there's this big pot that's boiling. We do it on Matzah Shabbos before Pesach, so that's where I get to sweat. Because it's really hot and it's really boiling, and I'm dripping with sweat, and I'm like, hey, Hashem, I may not have cried this year, but you know, take my, take, take the sweat as, as my tears and help Pisrael and, have different covenants on how Hashem should help us all and people should have get married and have children and, and, have, and, and show them by each other. a big crap, but don't just clean. You have to have covenant when you clean. Also, when you set the table, it's very, very fascinating what's really going on Pesach night. We don't really have time to go that deep into it, but if you go online, if you have online, um, you go to Torah anytime. So my last year, which I gave actually last night to the boys, really is a, a very important year. Before, you can't go to Pesach without listening to that year. So last year, it's the shit that I just gave last night to the boys. But I want to read you something that says in the Kabbalah Yashra. And he says the following. He says, Shahari the night of Pesach, Kadosh. He says, um, the, in Shemayim, there's this holy zivug. What does this mean? He says the following. When you set the table for the Seder, I talk about this all the time. 
And you make it very beautiful. You're supposed to set it with silverware and silver cups and beautiful china, expensive brand new tablecloth, nice linen, you know, nice expensive tablecloth, right? What's the kavana? What's your, what's your mindset? What's the kavana that you should have in mind when you set the table? Not that you're setting the table for your guests. I am setting the table for God and His Shechina. Yakenin, therefore, Chalila v'Chalila Chas v'Shalom, l'Sakin Hasibay De'Shifcha Nachris, to set the seder table with a non-Jewish servant. Kiim Dafki Yisraelis, it should be set with a Jewish woman. Umatoyv Mo'erai De'Yisraelis Hatohayrim Etumas Hanida, and 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 what and much better that the woman who sets the table should be should be Tahar. From Tumas Hanida, Umakoshikan, he says, Shiyaisatay, even better than that, Ayidei Bisula Yisraelis, Gazuntay, through a girl who never saw, who never had a period, a girl that's below 12 years old. Shalayra Sanida, that she was never Anida. Pshita Shuhutaybu Mushubach Yasser. Kavyosha says, it's Pashit, it's simple, that the table should be set by someone, boy or girl, who was never, ever Tama. And he goes on. So, but, and we don't have this mitzvah on Shabbos. People hold that the, a Jewish woman should set the table for Shabbos. We don't have this. If the person should be tar, we don't have this, right? He says here on the bottom, that you should, that my Rebbe used to go find a young girl who never, that she was never tame in her life. He says you can look it up in Hilchas Nida. In, in, uh, in, in Simon Kuf Pehe, whatever it is, that, that this table, for some reason, has to be so pure. And Taka, you know, I try to get my granddaughter to set it up, whatever it is, to find a girl that was never told Why? Why? What's, what's, who ever heard of such a thing? Like, what's, what's the difference? Manishtana. The table has to be set in such a pure way, right? My daughter can't, my daughter can't set the table. She so says the following, listen carefully. Why? He says, that night when you're sitting by the shop, by the Seder table, you should say the Haggadah with happiness and enjoyment. The and you shouldn't show that you're in a rush. Oh ma, it's 11.30, Tati, let's go. You know, when all your, your little sisters and brothers want to say Dvatoras, you know what, not tonight, say it by lunch tomorrow. Not by the Seder, we don't have time. And then by lunch tomorrow, it's like, well, we're really, really tired from last night. Say it on Shabbos Cholomoyed. And then Shabbos calling me, it's like, maybe the last days. And by that time, the kid's like, I forget, I'm not saying it anyway. Right? He says, let us say to no rush. Don't show Hashem, lay ragas. Don't show him a heart that's in a rush. He says, in the Zaya, in Daf Mem, it says, It's a chiv on a person to talk about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Why you're talking about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? God gathers his whole kingdom in Shemayim and he goes, listen to what happens and he says to the Malachim come the Shemu, let's go listen let's go listen to the Jewish people talk about the redemption of their God all the angels come to God and they admit to him, I'll call Aisinis on all the miracles that he did for the Jewish nation. The Shemala and all the angels of above, Maidimlo, admit to Hashem, Al Amakadash Yeshla Bu'arats. 
What a beautiful holy nation he has on earth. Shesmechem, that the Jews are happy. In the happiness of the Geula of their creator. Now, I don't understand what this means, and I don't want you to try to think into it too much, but it says the following. The Israel, the Jewish nation, the Sipa Hahu, through talking about Hashem and praising Hashem, they give strength and awe to God by us talking about Hashem. Not that he needs your strength. He has plenty of strength without us. What it means sort of is like, there's a king. And he has his ministers. And then he walks into a room and everybody gets up. So the, the king's ministers, it gives an awe to the king that everybody stood up for him. So us sitting in the, sitting by, by the Seder and talking about Akash Baruch he doesn't need more power, but it gives to his Pamayah to his covet, to his oneness. Right? The whole Jewish nation is sitting here in the middle of the night, and who are they talking about? They're talking about a Baruch Hu. But then he says something very scary. And he says, carefully he says, Don't say it in a rush. Don't make it look like it's a, you know, oh my gosh, and no, we have to sing again, and, and, and more Dvatoras. Don't make it look like you're carrying a load. He says, I want you to know something. A person who sits and reads the Haggadah and it, it looks to everyone else or to him that he's carrying a load and he's not interested. And he's saying it only because he has to, he's forced to, or he's doing it in a lazy way. Not happy about it, right? Just wants to get out of it. By the way, there's a book the Reformed Jews put out. I have a Haggadah. It's called the 10 Minute Seder. I bought it by accident. I saw it in, in the store, and I, and, and it was, I think it was a Wallbaums or a Shoprite, and I didn't know what it was. It said Haggadah, so I bought it. Ten minute Haggadah, and then I realized that it's not Orthodox; it's Reform. How did I know? I opened it up, and it doesn't have the four sons. It has the four daughters. <laughs> serious. It has. They. What do you mean? It's not right. Equal equal opportunity. So they have the four daughters, the Russia, the Ishana, the Tom. Interesting what they look like, these girls, right? But, but, um, they're the four daughters. Yeah, because you have to have equal rights. So once, once I saw that, I was like, uh-uh, this is not a real God. I better check it out. And then I realized it's not orthodox. But anyway, so anyone who, ten minute, ten minute, ten minute! That's not, ten minute Seder, right? So, Melissa will go on his leg, you're not happy, you want to get out of there, you have no concentration. Listen carefully, this is a Kabayosha. This is scary. He says, I want you to know that anyone who, anyone who doesn't celebrate the Seder with love and happiness and singing and, and not wanting leaving, like, you, you should not finish. I don't finish till four o'clock in the morning. I don't know how anybody can finish before four o'clock in the morning. And that's with letting my grandchildren say two Dvartaras each. If I would let them say all their books, we, we'd, we'd be there till Hanukkah. Seriously. <laughs> right? So, so, and the only reason I, I, the reason I finished my, my Seder at four o'clock because at four o'clock I'm the only guy sitting at the table. There's no one there anymore. If I had someone to talk to, I'd go to six, but I don't have anyone else to talk to. Right? It's an amazing night. What are you talking about? It's a fantastic night. At the end you say Shira Shirim, you can talk to Hashem about all the miracles he did for you this year, and your Mitzrayim. Why are you in a rush? This is the big night. Hashem's the chasen. The, the bride wants to, you know, if you ever have a friend that gets engaged, they don't stop talking about the guy. Right? Until it annoys you. It's like, hello? 
You want to talk about stuff? I don't want to hear about him. I'm not engaged with him. You are. He's cute. He has dimples. He's a, he's a big kamachacham. And you know what he said now? And you're like, hello? Can I talk to you without talking about him for five minutes, right? Because when you, when you, when you get engaged, it's like, wow, I, I want to talk about it all the time. Well, what happened on the Seder night is probably we got engaged to Hashem. It's the night that, you know, engagement is for no reason. It's for no reason. Like, a guy gets down on one knee and says, will you marry me? Why, why should I marry you? You didn't make a living. You didn't pay one of my bills yet. What exactly did you do for me? Why should I marry you? What did you do for me? You paid the bills. You went out to work. What? You made me a coffee? What, like, what did you do for me? You didn't do anything for me. Why should you say yes? And why, why should the guy marry you? What did you do for him? Why is he getting engaged to you? What did, what did you do for him? You, you, you washed his clothing? You baked him a cake? Maybe. Right? But probably not. Right? So what did you do for him? You didn't do anything for him. He didn't do anything for you. The two of you are looking at each other. Will you marry me? Oh my God, I can't believe you asked. Yes, yes, yes. And like, Mazel tov. Why? What, what did you guys do for each other? Why, why are you getting engaged? And the answer is, you fell in love with each other. And potential, what we're going to become, what, what our marriage, what it's going to lead to. Right? But then, you get married. That comes to work. After the shower brought us all the freebies, then comes to work. Marriage is work. Engagement is a freebie. Engagement, you fell in love with somebody. He asked you, he's cute, you're cute, oh, very nice, I like you, your personality, great. Mazel tov. But at that point, no one did anything for anybody. Now, Kodesh Baruch the Zayar says, on the night of Pesach, right, and that's why it says that it happened, and he didn't give us a warning, he didn't tell us he's going to take us out. Of course, the reason he didn't tell us he's going to take us out, right, what does the Pesach say? The It happened in a moment, in a big rush. Take your sticks, take your coat, take your jacket, get out. The matzah didn't even bake on our backs. Why didn't he tell us a month in advance? In a month... In the middle of the night, you know, I'm going to let you know, the next morning we're going out. What's with the surprise bit? Why be he puzzled? If you would have told us a month in advance, we wouldn't have had that matzah on our back. The ladies would have gone home, we would have made potato kugel, and kishka, and seven layer cake, and kakash cake, and cinnamon cake. We would have left the trying, baby. We would have had trucks of food. I mean, you know, you go, you go out on, on Pesach, right? It's a great adventure. Two people get out of the car with ten boxes of food. Yaki, you brought the cut apples, the bananas, the day chips. You brought the macaroons in. And the guy was standing there like, you people moving in for like two weeks? <laughs> uh, like, you know, boxes of matzo, 16 pounds, of, you know, three little kids and 25 pounds of matzo and, 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 and a truckload of those little drink boxes, right? Apple juice. And, and the guy was sitting there like, what's with these Jews, you know? 10 Jews, 40 boxes of food, right? Because we're always scared that we're not going to have anything to eat, right? That, that happened to us for 40 years in, in, the, in the desert. We got that our psychology, right? Right, well, so we're, we're okay, that's true. But even before that, we, we, so HaKadosh Baruch why didn't you let us know? A month and a half, what do we have to do? We're stuck with this matzah? Give us a month in advance, the ladies would have been, each lady would have been baking and cooking, because you take care of the cookies, you take care of the cake, you know, you make the pastrami. We would have left with trying party time. Now we're with matzah on our back. So one of the kids in my class said, that's exactly it. We didn't have enough donkeys to carry all that food, right? But that's not the reason. That's not the reason. The reason was, Chazal say, because another moment in Mitzrayim, we would have never gotten out. We were on the 49th level of tumult, of impurity. Another day, we were stuck. So, Chazal, I'm not comparing to Hashem to a guy, but you know, guys don't commit. So we are sort of, until we think we're going to lose the girl, we got time. The minute she says, 
by the way, you know, you're not committing, and my parents just accepted another shidduch, and he just happens to be, you know, you're five foot six, he happens to be six foot two. His parents have a private jet, um, you know. I think I'm going to go out with him. The guy's like, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Please marry me. Right? Because, because he's very scared. He's going to lose her. Until we're scared we're going to lose something, we don't really go after it. Guys have commitment problems, right? So, so that's the game. There's a little bit of a game play. Because Baruch Hu says to Zayar that on the night of Pesach, was scared he was going to lose us. Because another day, and his kala, Klai Yisrael, would have been stuck in Mitzrayim forever. So there was a moment on the night of Pesach that Bichipazon was a moment where Hashem thought that if I leave them here for another minute, I'm not going to have my kala. That he said, now. We're leaving now. We're getting out of here now. So it was a moment where he fell in love with us in a desperation, so to say, that if he doesn't get us out now, he's not getting us out at all. Which is a fantastic, beautiful moment. Did we deserve that moment? Did the Jewish nation deserve that moment? No, just the opposite. The only reason there was that moment was because we were at such a low level. We didn't do tshuva, and then he fell in love with us because we were so good. It was the other way around. Because we were so low, we were so filthy, we were so dirty, that he thought he was going to lose us, so we didn't deserve it. So it was a moment of undeserved love. We, we did nothing for Hashem to get out of Mitzrayim. We didn't do any tshuva. So he grabbed us and he took us out in, in an unbelievable moment of love. And that's why it was the And that's why the matzah on our back didn't even have a chance to get baked. Because we had to get out of there now. Undeserved love. Totally undeserved love. And that's Pesach. And that's why this is such a big night. And to sit there and not celebrate that moment where God fell in love with us and we did not deserve it. And he took us out on a freebie. We didn't earn it at all. Not to, to sit there and say, I, I don't want to talk about the chassan. I want to talk about the news and I want to talk about my dress and I want to talk about school. And of course, Bokhu comes with Pamayu Shamala. He comes with all the malachim to listen to the kala speak about him. And then we're not speaking about him. is the greatest insult. So he says something very terrible here. He says, you should know that if you don't sit by the Seder, B'Kabwana Salev and B'Simcha, when you need Hashem and you're in danger, He will not do a miracle for you. Kabayasha. You hear this? If, if He did you miracles, it's sort of tied in a little bit to, to a, something I'm writing in my, which is an amazing thing that I saw that I'm writing in my, in my book on Hakartha Tov. There's a halacha, listen to this. This is shocking. There's a halacha like this. If you know, that the person you're going to do a favor from is not going to appreciate it. The halacha is you're not allowed to do them the favor because you're over lifnei You're doing something for the person, and he's he's, he's a coffee talk. He's not saying thank you. So you and you know that he's not the type to say thank you. You're not allowed to do them the favor because you're over lifnei evil. You're causing him to do an avera. You did something good, and he's a coffee tov and Hashem. The worst thing in the world is an ungrateful person. So if, I'm, if I don't do you the favor, you're not ungrateful. I didn't do you a favor. I, it's in my book. I'll show you the quote. Where does it say that? He, Rabbi Finkelman found it. I think maybe some safer. Fourth time in the safer. Fourth time it's a shocker. Rabbi Zlatowicz told me about it. Rabbi Zlatowicz, who's arch scroll, told me about it. Maybe, I'm not sure if it's some safer. It's brought down. He said, I'll show it to you with favorish. And it says, if you know a person's not going to appreciate it, don't do the favor. Because if they evil, they see Don't do him a favor, and then he's going to be a, a coffee type. Hashem's going to punish him for that. So don't do him the favor at all. So here, 
Right? So here, what happens? So Hashem did Nisan for us. And he took us out of Mitzrayim, he took us out of the Holocaust. We're back. Baruch Hashem, the tables are full. The hotels are full. Right? Kleistrol is growing, growing, growing. And if you're going to sit there and you're not going to thank him, so you're a kafri tov. So Hashem's like, you're a kafri tov? So next time you're in danger and you need me, I'm not saving you. Because I'm not going to cause you to be a kafri tov. I'm going to save you and you're not going to thank me that I'm doing the same thing. I'm looking naive. I'm reading from inside. I didn't make this up, right? Again. Avol, but Misha Gada Daimal of Lamasa, a person that the Hagada to him is a load on his back. But Omar Bal Kochen, he's saying the Hagada by force, or by access, or he's lazy. He's not happy. Azai, therefore, Eino Zeichel Asas Leidnez Kishu Bemakam Sakana. He will not be Zeichel that Hashem will do him a miracle when he's in danger. That's pretty scary. What is it? It's Mida Kanega Mida. So a person has to sit by the Seder, and it has to be like you just got engaged, and you want to talk about your chassan. And that's, of course, when the chassan comes to your house for Shabbos, the first Shabbos, your mother puts out all the silver and the china and the beautiful tablecloth, because you want to impress the chassan. The same thing over here. And that is why the table has to be set by someone who's pure and tahar, because the table is not being set for you. And not being set for the family. That's Shabbos, and then you can use anybody, any Jewish person could set the table. And it's not, it's being set for the Shekhinah, who's coming to your Seder with his Malachim. Shekhinah's coming, the table has to be set on a different level. Again, it's not a halacha. The Kabbalah Yosha, most people don't know this. It's not a halacha. You don't have to make yourself crazy, right? But he says, Toiv Yosef, it's better to have the table set by a young girl, a 10 year old, 11 year old, a 12 year old. All right, you can help her and tell her which side to put the fork and the knife, of course. Otherwise, it's not going to be in the right place. But it is a very big kedusha on that night. And that's why, and we'll end with this thought, that's why I said, I said today, actually, I was, in, I was in a school, that's why the, the geula of Pesach and the geula of Purim have to be next to each other. Really, there's a halacha of tadir, 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 What's regular, what's irregular, the regular goes first. Much more regular do you have Purim in, in the first Adar. Because we only have a second Adar every five years. So what's more regular to have a Purim in the first Adar? So how come when we have two Adars, we put the Purim in the second Adar? It should really be in the first Adar. And the Chazal say because Geula has to be next to the Geula. The Geula of Pesach has to be next to the Geula of Purim. Why? So separate them by a month. What's the end of the day? What came first? What came first? Purim or Pesach? Pesach came way before Purim, right? Where did the Jews get the power on Purim, right, that God signed us off. God said that they're all going to die because of what they did, because they assimilated. And God signed us off. Our God, Mordechai, was against us, we felt. We felt that Esther, everything in the world was against us. And Klai Israel, we were signed off, and we sort of loved Hashem for no reason. We sort of got engaged to Hashem. Why? Why would we love Hashem? He was the guy who said... He was the governor that said, execute her, execute my wife, because she committed adultery. He was the governor. He was the one who signed the paper. And he didn't give us the pardon. He said, we're going to be destroyed. And even after he said, we're going to be destroyed, we said, we love you anyway. We don't care that you signed that we should be destroyed, that our women and our children and us were all going to be wiped out. We still love you. Where did Kleinstrom get that kayak to love Hashem, even though we felt he didn't love us anymore? Because he signed us off. We're, that's engagement. That's, that's, that's sort of, not that Hashem didn't earn our love, but Hashem, you, 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 you said we should get executed. You're the governor. You signed. Kill them all. So why should I love you? But what did Christ do? We came back to Hashem and said, we don't care. 
that you signed us off to be dead. We love you anyway, so we're going to fast and we're going to learn and we're going to be Makabal Torah Ba'ava. Where did that come from? Where did that strength come from? It came from Pesach. Because on Pesach, Hashem did that for us. We were on the 49th level of Tumah. We were the ones who gave up on God. We were the ones who were serving all the Avodah Zarah. And Hashem came and said, I love you, even though you're doing all these Amiras, I am getting you out of here. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu sort of proposed in this engagement to us on Pesach. We proposed to Hashem on Purim. And in any relationship between a husband and a wife and a girl and a boy, both have to be in the proposal. If the boy proposes and she says no, it's not an engagement. And she doesn't propose, right? Both sides have to want to get married. The boy has to want to get married and the girl has to want to get married. So we both, Hashem and us, at one point in history, right? Even though the other side sort of didn't deserve it, Hashem wrote us off. We showed our love just from a place of love without any reasons. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we were a very good kawa. Because if you look at it, what did Hashem say? He came to us in the middle of the night and he said, I love you, I want to be married to you, we're out of here. We're leaving your father's house. Where are we going? Right? You met this guy and he's like, he, he proposed to you. He's like, you're like, where are we going? And he's like, to the desert. <laughs> uh, we have a house out there? Nope. We have food? Nope. Go after me. Into a land that has nothing. That is pure love. We had nothing. Hashem didn't put anything on the table. He said, I'm taking you, Kala. You're going with me? We're going nowhere. But we're getting out of here. Sort of like a love story, right? We're getting out of here now. I'm taking you out of jail. I'm taking you out of prison. Where are you taking me? Nowhere. But it's just going to be the two of us. We'll be out in the desert. We don't have no food. We have no house. We have nothing. But it's going to be the two of us. Yell at Shashuim. And Klaishro said, we're with you, we're going. What a, what a crazy night, Pesach night. What an unbelievable night. What a night that you could ask for anything in the world at that Seder. That, the Seder is life. That's what the Seder is. You can ask for anything. It's Leil Shimurim. It's the only night a whole year where Hashem says, I am the Chassan. I take responsibility on the Kala. Leil Shimurim, leave your doors open, leave your, leave your windows open, leave your cars open. I'm going to watch you. I will take care of you. Leil Shimurim, because I am the Chassan. Of course the Chassan on the night that he gets engaged is going to watch the Kala. It's a crazy, unbelievable, such a holy night. And that's why Purim and Pesach have to be next to each other. Because each one of them is part of this engagement where each side sort of said, I love you, for no reason. Even after Hashem signed us off, we said, it doesn't matter, you can sign me off, you can write whatever you want about me. We love you and we will always love you. And if we die loving you, that's the way we're going to die. And Akash Baruch said the same thing. And that's what the Medrash says. It's the most romantic, beautiful Medrash in the whole Torah. Where God turns to the Malachim and he says, I'm going down to earth. I'm going down into, into the worst, filthiest mud hole in the world called Mitzrayim that's full of every avoidance in the world. I'm going to take my girl. I'm going to take my Kala, my Matranusa, my, my queen, and I'm going to take her out of this terrible, terrible place. And the Malachim said to Hashem, but you're God and you're the coin Gadol and you're holy. You cannot go into that Tumah to get the Kala. We, the Malachim, I'll show you the Medrash. We will go. We will take Klai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. You don't have to take them out of Mitzrayim. We'll take them out of Mitzrayim. We're, we're, we're angels. We'll deal with them. We'll wipe out Mitzrayim. Hashem, you don't go. We're going. Such a beautiful way. When I read it, I'm like, God, I love you. And Hashem says to the Malachim, He says, I need a Malach. I need a Sarah. 
You're going to go take my kala out of the triumph? When you go to take your kala, you don't send a shliach? I will personally come down to Mitzrayim. I will personally go into the gulls, into the dirt, into the filth. I'm God, right? I will go and I will take them out myself. And that's what we read. Imagine, should never happen to you. Imagine you're, 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 you're ready to get engaged and you know the boy's going to propose, right? And you're all excited and you, you don't know what day, but you, know, you heard already the rumors, your mother already bought the cake. You know, she's hiding some stuff downstairs in the basement. You got one eye open. You're like, I know this is coming, right? And you're like, all excited. I think this date he's going to propose, right? All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. You're going out with this guy, Chaim, right? It ain't Chaim at the door. It's Maishi, his best friend, right? And you're standing at the door, and he's like, hi, I'm Maishi. And you're like, I know. Chaim talks about you all the time. I'm Chaim's best friend. She goes, how can I help you? This person, this Maishi gets down on one knee. <laughs> And he, and he has this box and he opens it up and it's a diamond ring. And he says, Chaim said I should tell you, will you, will you marry him? You're gonna say, excuse me? Get out of here and tell Chaim that if he wants to marry me, he needs to come and propose. Not you proposing to him. Are you crazy? Whoever heard of such a thing, right? You never even heard such a story. That's a crazy story, right? What is the guy, a whip? What the, you can't say, there's no way you're marrying that guy, okay? Unless he shows up and has a very good story on why he sent his best friend to propose for him. <laughs> That's what Akash Bokhu told him, told him, you're going to go down to Mitzrayim and propose to my kawa, for me? You're going to go down to Mitzrayim, to Klai Yisrael, you're going to take them out and propose to them? Are you crazy? I need a loy malach. I need a loy shliach. I need a loy saraf. If I want my, if I want this kawa to be mine, I gotta go myself. And the Mecca says that they said to Hashem, they still wanted to stop him. And they said to Hashem, but you're a Kohen. That's what the Mecca says. But you're a Kohen, Hashem, and a Kohen can't go into a Beisak Voros, into a Tumah, where there's dead people. And the Triumph is full of Gululim, full of the Zara. You're a Kohen, you can't be Matama yourself. It's your halacha. So you can't go into Mitzrayim. We have to do it. So the answer Hashem gave them was, He says, Kalei Yisrael is my truma. Truma is what's holy, what's given to a Kayin. Hashem says, and when truma, that's holy, that's not Tomei, it's in an earthen vessel, is in a graveyard, right? So the Kohen can go become Tomei from the graveyard to save the truma, that it doesn't become Tomei. So Kodesh Baruch this is what it says in the Medrash. Kodesh Baruch said to the angels, the Jewish nation is my truma. And they are stuck in a graveyard. I will be metama myself, God said. I will make myself tame to go into the graveyard to take the ones I love out of the triumph. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.